0: But what I found is that money is this interesting thing. People chase after it a lot,
1: a lot, and
0: think that that's the end goal. Right. And what I learned is that you can always make more money. There's so many ways to make money. It literally as many ways as you can think of. There's a million more. And so mine really went from making money to support myself and my family to how do I make a difference.
2: Stick around and you'll find out.
1: We are back in studio <laughs> yes.
2: with our friend Julia Nicholson. Thanks again for sticking around long enough to continue this conversation. You know, now having this transition where we're moving the conversation, exploring a little bit more about this unbelievable ascent you had in business, your your career that, that took you from, you know, high school graduate to the top of a $12 billion corporation what an exciting conversation. And then this huge realization that you ultimately got to change this conversation about loss and grief.
1: Yes, absolutely. But where I'd like to go for a minute is in that journey of going from the recognition that you've got to put food on the table. You've got two little girls to feed. You're a single mom. You're given roadblock after roadblock in a male-dominated world on You can't because you ascend to the first CEO, first female CEO in this role of a $12 billion business. But all along in the background, Matthew and I know this all too well, there's a relationship that you have with money that really you don't really think about because it's way in the background. And what I'm so curious to understand a little bit more is when you go from having such lack such scarcity, and then flipping it to the other side of the coin, I'm sure, in your role of having great abundance. How, in that journey, how did your relationship with money change? What was it like to go from you know, if you will, the chicken one wings side, yeah, to, chicken wings to, to uh, duck a la ranch. Right There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: no, that's a really good question. And absolutely. I mean, I was, I was raised in an environment of scarcity, right? An enlisted man in the Marine Corps with four children and so a family of, of six. I remember eating sea rations as a kid because we didn't have enough money for food. And that was our sustenance. And so that actually was was my history with money is that it is scarce and you live paycheck to paycheck and you try and dig the pennies out of your mom's purse to get the five cent milk carton if you can. And that's only because it was five cents on the Marine Corps base. Hmm. So I actually lived in that environment. And so my relationship with money has changed multiple times in my life. All I knew was scarcity. When I got married it wasn't as much scarcity as it was entrapment that because i didn't have any money i wasn't making any money i really didn't know anything about money that was a, an emotional it mental a and physical it was a yeah. huge control mental emotional and physical and it's one of the reasons why i stayed in that marriage as long as i did and so then my relationship with money changed to that was my goal that was my target is i needed to be able to support my, my two daughters. I need to be able to support my family. I need family. to do something yeah, you, differently here exactly. and,
1: and, and become more educated.
2: Exactly. And it was life or death kind of decisions. I mean, without, without that, you can't take care of your children exactly. with no plan B. There There is no plan B for you.
0: No, exactly. I mean, I, I had to juggle, which do I pay first, the apartment rent or the utility or what did I pay? But I never had a goal of, I want to be rich. My goal was, I didn't want to be poor. I wanted to be able to afford the basics that, I mean, my daughters didn't get Christmas presents like other, like my nephews and everything. They, they would get the necessities. They would get the spiral notebook, the pencils, the underwear, the sure, things socks. they needed. Mm-hmm, because that's what they needed. And so it did. It went to now into survival. And it, I would have to say it was pretty liberating to get to the point, even though it was a real struggle, and certainly there was a lot of fear involved of, am I going to be able to make the payment? But what I found is that money is this interesting thing. People chase after it a lot.
1: Oh. A lot and
0: think that that's the end goal. right? And what I learned is that you can always make more money. There's so many ways to make money. It literally, as many ways as you can think of, there's a million more. And so mine really went from making money to support myself and my family to how do I make a difference? what's that purpose, that passion and purpose instead of – I kind of look at it as the four Ps in the business school, right? When I started out, it was all about position and paycheck and being able to – but it evolved to the second – or passion and purpose, and what can I do with that? And so evolved to the point where, yes, when money doesn't solve any problems, the problems are already there. It just exacerbates them, exposes them, but it does not solve every problem.
1: One of the keys to what you were saying there, as I translate that, is – the money now had meaning. Exactly. As, as more money started to show up in your life, it wasn't for more comfort. It wasn't for the the chase of it to become rich, to shower it among your people. Right, to show you, off in front of your people. You now had a purpose and a meaning for the money.
0: You know, that's a really, really good way to put it, and more succinctly than I did. And yes, the first meaning was survival. And the second was it's it's a means. You know, Being in the environments that I've worked in, and certainly you know hollywood that's a there's a whole different attachment to it and i think our society starts to latch on to that and then we start to buy into some of literally these creations that are purely for photo that that's not real i think if people really knew what was going on behind some of those scenes and i mean that figuratively and literally without a healthy relationship with yourself the money's not going to make a difference and in fact
1: sometimes it makes it worse oh we should do a podcast on that yeah let's talk about how
2: A relationship with money might affect that relationship with self. If one of those two relationships isn't quite healthy, it might affect the other relationship.
0: Oh, I, I think instrumentally, right? The relationship with yourself is the foundation, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing right now is how can I help? Because this idea of, of loss and grief, I mean, we can even take it in the financial. I, I've seen people just destroyed- oh, Exactly, over the loss of the finances. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is when you come from scarcity, I think there's two roads, right? There's, okay, well, I need to make as much as I can so I'm never like that. Or, you know what? Well, I know what it's like to live with nothing so I, I know how to do it.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. But
0: then all of a sudden, once you have something it's now that you have something you almost live a lot more conservatively in one camp because now i'm going to hold on to everything i have oh yeah <laughs> or tighter yes or i go the other pendulum of well i'm going to do the show and show everybody because now it's going to make me feel better about myself because they can see what i've done and
2: i yeah i went the other way i started you, being the show off there you go <laughs> because i needed to impress the whole world <laughs> yes uh, and then when i found myself driving straight up a highway uh, debating turning my wheel a little to the left cuz Amy and the kids would be better with my life insurance than with me. Yes. I went the other way. And then I went to I hung on to it really, really tight. I still do a little bit. I mean, I still have some scars from those old days. And now that money is starting to come back into my life again, I'm finding myself occasionally getting like I was this last Mm -hmm. holiday season, being probably overly financially sober and and the impact that had on some of the relationships in my family, in my household. Yes. Dad, lighten up, dude, please lighten up a little bit. Sixty eight degrees versus sixty nine degrees on the thermostat? Really?
1: Yes. That's what be- you have sweatshirts for. Go put <laughs> <Exactly>. one on. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Turn the lights off on the hallway on your way back.
2: You know, I'm gonna get hired for one of those is maybe progressive
1: commercial the one oh. where they're trying to keep me from being my dad. Oh, come on. Why is that funny? Because <laughs> it's why, true. Why exactly. Most humor has to do with the fact that it's truth. true. It, Whether it, it's, it's in a package you like or not. Yes. Exactly. So my wife and fiction. I love that progressive commercial because oh, we sit there and laugh.
2: Shameless plug for our friend Flo and her people at Progressive. Here you are at the top yes. of the financial food chain. You've just shared with us how you went from this scarce relationship with money to this abundant relationship with money. You had a revelation. You had this epiphany come yes. to you. Because if I'm sitting here listening to you describe that whole journey, I might imagine life got a whole bunch easier, right? I, I might think that, well, you're, you're super successful. You've got financial success in your life. You, you have an abundant mindset with money. Life got so much easier.
0: Isn't all the funny? all the its are
2: behind you, and life is <laughs> is good. But yet, you had more its, and you had a revelation.
0: Yes. And isn't it funny how what the outward world sees is like, it's like the marketing package that everybody wants you to see, but that's not really what's going on. And yes, very blessed in my career, financially wonderful. But the foundation, the crux of that is that I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if I didn't have a, a solid foundation of, of myself mm. and, and a healthy view. And I'm not saying perfect by any means, but knowing basically what I'm made of, knowing who I am, knowing what my priorities are, and making sure that in myself I was OK. I mean, I could have never even applied for those jobs if I wasn't able to have the confidence and and courage to do that, right, to put well, myself in got, that situation. you got those
2: from the it's. I mean, you, that, that's, that's, exactly. that's the paradox is how do I use this for me? That's exactly right. That's how exactly you use right. for you. It created a resilience in you that you may not have ever had had you it's, not seen how those it's happened for you instead of to you
0: i would say hands down i would it's not if i wouldn't uh, never and and the interesting thing is that the it's will keep on coming right that you can't avoid them and so being able to use each one of those and to leverage them but i think the important thing from going from where i started if you will in my journey and where i am now is that solid foundation of dealing and coping and and knowing what, what do you do when something happens that you don't want to happen, when a change happens, yeah, how, when a loss happens? How do you do how that? How do you do it? Yes. I,
2: I would imagine you've had that question asked of you before because people, I, I asked you this, how how did you do yes. this the first time you shared your story in TEDx rehearsal? Yes,
0: how are you still standing? How, I get yeah, a lot of that. how are you doing this? I get a lot of that. Well, that is the, really the genesis of the message that I'm trying to share right now. And this really started from this feeling of failure. And with my first major it, if you will, in my adult life, the, the same conventional wisdom kept being given to me over and over again with this message of that I had to go through these five stages because that was the one that Dr. Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief that kept being given to me, shared with me to say, in order for me to, and they would use words like heal or cope or move forward or get on, that I had to go through those stages.
2: Oh, those had to be hard to hear. It
0: was it was really hard because I was stuck in this space of wanting to have these work for me. And granted, this just didn't happen right away, right? This is months later. and. I really felt like a failure that this conventional wisdom was working for everyone else because I was hearing it from, you know, the therapist that I was seeing or the doctor I was seeing or my friends that I was seeing or people that I thought were knowledgeable, people that I thought would have, you know, the background experience, education, and training. Well, surely they must be right. So there has to be something wrong with me. I'm a failure at even going through grief right.
2: Well, you you taught me something. I had never even thought of this before you and I had this conversation that everything that Dr. Keebler-Ross created in these five stages of grief is really designed for the idea of loss of your life. Correct. Right? They,
0: yes. They, they, literally, the, all of the research that she did was looking at people who were terminally ill and the emotions that they were experiencing facing their terminal illness, their death. And when that work was published and she said these are the five stages that people who have a terminal illness experience when coming to terms with their own mortality. And I did not learn that until a little bit later on when I'm struggling and trying to figure out- Yeah, why isn't why this is, working for me? Yes. And and with the impression, just like, right, everybody puts on these, I'm thinking, well, it's working. These, this is working for everybody else. How come it's not working for me? And it wasn't that I'm not trying. I mean, I'm, I'm giving it everything I got if I really don't want to live like this anymore. It's like- but it, nothing worked, right? I, well, you can do the journaling. You have to go through this anger. You have to go through this denial. Well, there was no denying I was hit head-on by a car. Right? There was no denying that I was in an abusive relationship. There was, right? And there's no bargain that I'm going to make that's going to change that car not hit. There's no, right? So, so... I had the anger, I could get that one down, I sure. could get the depression down, I could get that one too. Yeah. But they they just didn't work. And so I really stuck- started... And they
2: weren't linear for you. Like you'd get no. you told me that you'd get the anger and the depression, yep. it would come back. That's it was right. circular.
0: That's right.
1: So you you had to come up with a different way I did. to I... process these it's no, yes. not, not the factory that had been built by someone else. Exactly. Right. Or some handbook that you were given. Right. I mean, this is your own experience. And being able to
2: step outside of it and look at what was actually going on to help you begin to heal.
0: I struggle with the word heal. Okay. And the reason why I do that is because I think – I mean there's a saying that says time heals all wounds. That actually – Inhibited me because almost like you were saying before, that well, now I can be the victim. I just have to wait for time to pass, and time's going to pass, and then I'm going to be fine. Well, it's not true. Time's going to pass no matter what. Even physical wounds need some input from you to heal, they need nourishment, right? You have, your body has to have something. And so, hearing that, and I heard that so many times, I had this idea or this thought, this belief that, well, okay, when enough time passes, then quote unquote, I'm going to be healed. What exactly does that mean? Well, in my mind, that meant whatever prescribed time, then I'm going to feel better and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be back to the way I I used to be. And that's not true. I'm never going to be the way I used to be because now I have an experience I'd never had before. And the cool thing is, is that I can't get rid of that experience. Even if we would wanted to. But what we gain from the experience, you don't want to get rid of. That like you said, that sure. resilience, that courage, that determination. You don't want to get rid of that. And so we, we have this idea of, well, I want all of those qualities of courage and determination and resilience and but I don't I don't want to go through what it's gonna to take to get that, right? So it's that discipline that and it, it doesn't matter what area, right? Whether it's in finance, that discipline. Sometimes it's not easy, but the end result is that loss, that it not easy, but the end result is if you were able to make it work for you instead of against you. And so I literally started talking to other people, recognizing these five stages of grief weren't working for them either. They went through this awful divorce or they lost a pet that was, I mean, there's so many different things. They didn't get that job. I even actually started realizing, I saw this in high school with people that didn't make cheerleading. It, that, it was so devastating for them. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to understand that the most devastating thing that happened to you is your biggest it, whatever that is. For somebody, it may be they didn't make cheerleading, but for somebody else, it may be the death of someone. It's So they're not relative. It's, Whatever the biggest thing was in your life is just as big as the biggest thing in mine. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I've had people say, oh, well, I haven't gone through anything you've gone through. And I said, yes, you have. It just has a different name. All the feelings and the emotions are same. It's still debilitating. It still impacts you. And so as I started talking with these people and understanding, these stages weren't working for them either. And then they started asking me, but wait, you have so much energy. You have, And I know, I can yeah, where's see. Yeah, where does that come from? Yeah, because I know what it was like to not even want to get up out of bed in the morning, to feel like, okay, I know that this day is going to be the same as every other one. I know my future. And so... I got to the point where I had to get over myself and my insecurities to be able to tell them and share. This is what worked for me. And I'm not implying this is a panacea for the be all end all, but what I do know is the people that I've shared it with so far, there's been so much that has come back to me. They said, you can't even believe this. Not only have I been able to use this framework, And these five realizations that you shared with me in some of the challenges like processing when my mom died. But I've also been able to use them in a few other things. Like I had this major fight with my wife and I actually was able to go through these five frames. Or I tried really hard for that promotion and I didn't get it and I was devastated. And, you know, we don't realize that what happens on the outside of the world, meaning in the office or outside the office, it's all part of us, and we carry that wherever we go. And I'm looking at this from a conventional wisdom standpoint. The the message right now is when you have a loss in your life, whatever your it is, and all those feelings of disenheartenment, discouragement, depression, sadness, whatever it is that you're feeling that is not the positive uplifting, there's this conventional wisdom that they're married together and they can never be separated. And what I learned early on is, yes, they can. That it that happened can never change. But my feelings and emotions about it can change just like it does when I'm happy and excited. I don't stay happy and excited forever when something good happened. Sure. I don't have to stay sad and down and disheartened because something that I didn't want to happen happened. But if I can turn it around, if I can look at it just a little differently, is there something I can gain from it? And so you asked me, how do I go from early on and what was going on in my life and you know, kind of in a pit yeah. <laughs> to where I am now? It was literally these, five, these realizations. five realizations and this framework that I have used personally and professionally in every aspect. I mean, I even, if you can believe this, went through this not even too long ago with I shrunk my favorite pair of jeans and my sweater to a size I haven't worn since I was five years old. And I know that might seem trivial, but think about somebody that they they spent every extra penny they had on that, whatever that was, and it got ruined, whether it was a car whatever. All of a sudden, that is a huge thing. Sure. And I went through those. That's the same framework and realizations to get now quick. Obviously, you can move through that more quickly than some other issues in your life. But the idea is that, yes, they do.
2: Realization number one. Lay it on us.
0: Absolutely. Well, the first piece of the framework that the realization attaches to is Relive. And I guarantee you, you are already familiar with Relive because we are all experts at it. And when you think about uh, cassette tape... And maybe for some of your listeners, maybe it's the bounce feature on the photo app where (laughs) something just keeps happening over and over again. Mm -hmm. Relive is like a cassette tape. Play, rewind, repeat over and over again. And that's what we do. That's the first piece of the framework. We relive it. And we relive it in at least one of two ways. Mentally, we think about what happened over and over again on this continuous loop forward and backward in endless detail nonstop. And then we also relive it verbally. We love to tell stories, yeah. and we will tell stories about anything, especially a loss in it that happened to anybody who will listen, or sometimes we'll only tell it to certain people, but we tell them the same thing over and over and over again. And the irony is that we need to do this. But this is this exhausting, dizzying loop that we keep ourselves in and we perpetuate this because of these thoughts. And we add to that, we automatically become this amazing crystal ball reader. For anyone who has ever said or thought, what if or if only, that makes you a crystal ball reader Hmm. because we're pretty confident that we can now identify what would have or should have happened. And then we beat ourselves up with these self-defeating conclusions and thoughts and beliefs like I was in. Well, my life is ruined. This is as good as my life is going to get. This is all I'm ever going to feel, right? So we, we actually perpetuate this ourselves not knowing it. Well, we need to be and relive. It's necessary. I think yeah. it's the human condition where we first start to process and make sense of what happened but the challenge is if we stay there too long in those same thoughts and those same beliefs, like you said, they become facts. Right. I like to characterize it if you think about a mental rut or a channel sure. that these thoughts just keep going through. Almost like your tire gets stuck when you're driving up the, oh, the freeway. I, and
2: then... I can relive my it's, especially when oh. they're fresh over oh. and over and over and just get stuck there.
1: No, you don't. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> I try and I mean not why would to, you but... have written a book about it? <laughs> over and, <laughs>
2: and over, over and over. We do. So how do we, how do we get from relive? What's that second frame? Sure,
0: sure. Well, the realization that happens in relive is powerful because in conventional wisdom in society, we've been taught that self putting yourself first is selfish. The realization in relive is putting yourself at first is not selfish, it's survival, right? That's the foundation. You got to make sure that you process in your time in what works for you. And that was pretty powerful because when I was reliving, I got to the point where I recognized that I'm starting to make other people uncomfortable. So now I'm going to pretend and I'm going to put on a happy face to make them feel better. But it only made me feel worse. Self-first isn't selfish. It's survival. I needed to do that. yeah, But only as long as it's productive. That's where most people get stuck. And that's when they think that, that there's nothing beyond that. So the second piece of the framework, and I want to make sure and identify, this is not a checklist and there's no specific right. order or timeline. Well, I love, like, your, yes. I
2: love your visual of this yes. framework. You have it in the shape of a, a diamond. diamond. Absolutely, right. for a reason. Yeah, where yes. everything can kind of, I, I, I'm not stealing a punchline, no I don't worries. think, because we don't have the visual with us today, but the no, way it's is not it? a penny. No, it's not a penny. No. It's a diamond. The visual's a diamond, absolutely. It's many, many pennies yes, pressed I together. Yes, I was just going to say.
0: <laughs> yes. No, but the, the second piece of the framework, again, is, is not in any specific order, But the second piece of framework is reflect. And what I started to recognize in reflect is that when something unexpected happens, as human beings, our first thoughts are usually some worst case scenario. I mean, like when my boss wants to meet with me late on a Friday afternoon and i wasn't expecting it my first thought is not oh this is good news right no i'm getting fired or you know there's something not good or if my daughter's 2 hours late and i haven't heard from her i'm not thinking oh she's just having fun she's you know on her way no she's in a ditch somewhere
1: well, can you relate to this <laughs> at all matthew I, this is
2: all foreign to me okay this so is, we're two I'm, for we're two for two, two here two for two absolutely Lear, learning never, something completely you, new
1: you've never had that realization that when when you see a voicemail from a loved one that it is... Oh, we won the lottery. It's. I'm oh, sure it's oh, something that's what you fabulous. Right. right? One yeah. of my kids
2: got into medical school and we won the lottery. Yeah. We're obviously having a little fun. And, le- you know, if this is your first time joining us, keep I, us light. I can't keep this charade up. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to reflect.
0: Yes. So literally reflect is recognizing that our first initial thoughts were hardwired for this negative bias thinking, which yeah. was intentional, right? It was all about survival. Well, one of the challenges, our environment that we had to survive thousands of years ago has changed dramatically, but our hardwiring hasn't. And if we never challenge those initial thoughts and beliefs, that's where we're going to stay. And we'll just churn and churn and churn, and it continues to convince us. Well, in Reflect, that's when I learned to take a step back and consider, is there any other way to see this? And looking at that is really hard for me because I'm from Missouri and the show me state. So I have to see something for myself to believe it, right? I mean, on top of that, I can be really stubborn and I can hold on and dig in and look for things to prove myself right. And the best example that hit me, and especially because I'm a numbers person, was writing the number six on a piece of paper and sliding it across the table and asking someone else what they saw. I mean, my six was their nine. So the powerful realization in this framework in Reflect is there's more than one true or right way to see the exact same thing. Other ways are just beyond what I currently believe.
2: Well, th- this is where you're introducing this concept that we talked a little bit about in the first segment. And it's it's a willingness to try to see how this is happening for me instead of how this has happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Taking that reflection. And even if there's no way to see it that way yet, it's just this willingness of, okay, let me reflect on this situation that... Boy, traditional thinking would tell me this has happened to me, woe is me, Yeah, maybe, now what? Maybe
0: there's something I can learn from this. Maybe there's something Bingo. good that can come out of it. Maybe How there's something I can use for me? Right. to help someone else, yes. which is exactly why I'm here, is what is it that I can do with what I've been given? Right? I'm not a victim. This, what I've been given, what can I do with it to help somebody else? and there's a huge piece a huge draw of that i think that is innately appeals to all of us and the interesting thing is i've noticed that whenever i have an it one of the first things that i can do is try to just do something to help someone else it is amazing whether whether you say hello and smile at someone and they smile back at you whether you are able to pick up you know somebody's coat that they dropped that you recognize with a cane they can't get it i mean there's there's things you can do that are free you don't have to pay somebody's meal you don't it's amazing how you feel when all of a sudden you've gone outside yourself. And it was very powerful to be able to recognize that the longer we stay deep within, we just keep churning, right? And it oh. happens.
1: The way we like to phrase that around here is the way you get out of your own head is to get into somebody else's heart.
0: It, absolutely. A perfect way to capture it. Absolutely. And and the interesting thing is when you get into somebody else's heart, it moves you from your heart to your from your head to your heart. Instantly. I mean, it's just that overwhelming feeling. You get that sense. I mean, I know this is gonna be corny, but I mean I even recognize it in my professional career when I would give somebody a performance review and being able to tell them not only how well they're performing, but also what their raise or their bonus was. And you know, they would thank me. They would, and I'm thinking, no, no, I was just the conduit. You actually did the work. But that feeling of being able to do that, because I was in situations right where it was the opposite. I sure. was the recipient of nothing. Um, but that feeling of being able to do something for someone, it changes everything. It changes the energy. and
1: It, it completely changes the energy. And, and that whole, I'm going to use a George Bushism right now, fi. Yes. Right? That you're stuckified.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you don't
1: know how to get out of it. So, one of our daughters right now has a stress fracture in her foot. She's in a boot. She's got crutches. Whoa, whoa, whoa is me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We've spent a good amount of time helping her look at how is this happening for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. A heady concept for an 18 year old. Absolutely. I but that whole concept of getting out of her head and into some, someone else's heart. She's starting a little support group for other athletes at her university. They're going to get together first on text. We're just going to have a text group. Maybe we'll get together for coffee. We'll Zoom, whatever. Right. Just to get out of her head and help others that, frankly, are And I mean, one of her teammates just blew her knee. So, the, I mean, every every CL you have in your knee, the MCL, the ACL, the FCL, the ECL, the ZCL. Lots of CLs. Blew them All, all gone. Right? Just all the emotional it that happens yes. with that, right? Well, so we, I love we attach, this concept.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, as human beings, without conscious thought, we attach who we are with what we do. And I've been asked many times about my career. And I said, I wanna make sure it's really clear. What I do for a living is not who I am as a person. Yeah, Very different. And I learned that in the car accident, right? I thought at 18 years old, who I was was about looks, and you know, is my hair fine, and does my person, my shoes and my belt match, and how do I look, and recognizing the things that can be taken away from you in a split second, and I mean taken away, you, through no fault of your own, no control of your own. That is not about who you are. Right. That's what you've associated and identified with. Sure, very, the, very different.
1: That's the exterior packaging.
0: Exactly. And And when the hits keep on coming, where's your foundation? What do you have left? And that's what this framework is about. That's what these five realizations are about. No one can take this framework away from you. No one can take these five realizations away from you, ever. Doesn't matter your job, your money, your relationship. Your, nobody can take them away from you. And to me, that's the power of them. And anybody can use them, no matter where you are, no matter how long ago it happened, no matter what your loss was, right? It doesn't have to be an abusive marriage or a suicide, like death of my husband. It doesn't matter what yours are. So the third piece... If you'd like to go there. Absolutely. (laughs) So so the third piece is called reframe. And when you think about, everybody has seen a work of art on a wall, a picture, almost all of them have frames around them because artists know how important that frame is around a picture to how you're going to see and feel about what you're looking at. And I learned that there's actually something called the framing theory, which says how information is presented to an audience impacts the way they see and feel about what they've been presented. Companies use this framing theory all the time oh, to influence gotta us. This
2: got to be a Madison Avenue yes. boondoggle right uh, here. This is what
0: it is, right? I yeah. mean, they use the framing theory to be able to, to basically influence our views and beliefs about their product and services. Media uses it to influence our views and beliefs in no, whatever it is that they're talking do about. do they <laughs>
1: really? <laughs> well, here's
0: the, the cool thing, though, is that we can use this same exact theory, which already has been proven it works, right? Um, we can use the same theory for the losses, the it's in our life. And where. I struggled and in what inhibited me from even getting here earlier was conventional wisdom has literally convinced at least me and many people I know that when you have a loss and those feelings, they're one and the same, they're a package daily, they can never be separated. But what I learned is living with the loss in my life and living in these feelings of grief and sadness and disengagement, discouragement. Those are two different things, and they can be separated, and they should be separated. And so what I started doing is, all right, I can look at the it, the loss that I had, as a picture, a snapshot in time that can never change, and the thoughts and feelings that I had at the very beginning as the frame that I put around that picture. When I started doing that and looking at them, I'd done a really good job of putting a make me feel awful, like crap frame around the it, this is terrible, this is horrible, my life is awful, it'll never get any better, it's ruined for the rest of my life. But when I started to challenge all of those or question those and say, wait a minute, are these facts, can they be proven? The irony was no, that goes back to the crystal ball reader. Well, there were just as many other thoughts or beliefs that could be just as true, just as right. Like, maybe I can learn something from it, maybe there's something good that can come out of this.
2: Well, for anybody who's listening, and through the first, these first two episodes, you, you kind of speed bumped over something a couple of minutes ago that I'm sure, I know I'm, I'm kind of waiting to hear more from you about this because you didn't mention this in one of your it's before. You glossed over the fact that one of the it's was your husband's suicide.
0: Yes, that's right.
2: And we haven't talked about that at all. Yes. From a reframing yes. standpoint, share with me how that experience, how, how reframing and the realization around that experience helped you?
0: Absolutely, and I would say that um, acknowledging that would be one of the, or probably the most challenging and and impactful significant it's I've ever had in my life. And the irony is that I don't know that I would have been prepared or equipped to even remotely try and process it without this framework and without everything else that I had experienced in my life. And so reframing it, and, and it, everybody's timeline is their own, right? There, there's And there's no prescribed timeline. If whatever you're doing is productive and, and working for you and getting you to where you want to be, and sometimes people just want to be stuck, they just want to be there. But for me, reframing it, I was able to get to the point to understand that so that you kind of know at least a little bit of the background. The love my life, amazing. We wanted our happily ever after. We were sure it was going to be ours given what we'd each been through. But he had had a pretty pretty um, horrendous motocross accident mm. and he was found on the track unconscious and critically injured paralyzed from the waist down this is a man who reached the pinnacles of his professional career as well uh, very very successful that was his w- during the week and then on the weekends he was an extreme athlete and very very accomplished athlete and so that was really hard for him because as we were saying you know that those were his coping mechanisms is that those those extreme sports and going out there and literally motocross and riding and away from him all of it, right? I, he he was a sponsored downhill ski racer. He was a water ski racer. He was a motocross racer that would win. I mean, his father's in the motorcycle hall of fame. I mean, he was born on a motorcycle. So basically, after four years after his accident, he took his own life, and that reframing took me quite some time. But I was able to get to the point where, again, getting outside of myself and recognizing he was in a lot of pain, and he's not in any pain anymore. And if I had to choose between Him living, but living in pain that would make me feel better because he was here, or him being free of pain, and I love him so much I don't want to be in pain, and those are my only two choices, but I don't get to make the choice, he does, to be able to look at that and say, you know, he's not in any pain anymore, and it was not a life for him anymore, and he doesn't owe me anything, and so I had to get to the point where I could look at that and say, wait a minute, this is another something, this is another huge it in my life. What positive can I do with it? I can't change it. And I don't want to live like this. And like this would mean I didn't leave my house for weeks. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't I wouldn't see anybody. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I had no ability to remember anything. I had some unbelievable things that, I mean, I would hear any type of adversity or altercation that people were having, argument or anything, in a stereo, like it was this loud megaphone. And I mean like somebody was just blaring it, It just odd things. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going crazy. This is, And I mean that genuinely, that I am losing, my, losing mind. my mind. I'm losing my mind, yeah. Yes, because it was so traumatic, right? And, I mean, I think that happens, mm-hmm. especially in, in uh, death at all, but certainly in this capacity. And that reframing and using this framework to be able to – and it's not linear. I'll go back and relive this, but oh. but I relive it differently, yeah. right? When I relive it now, I don't get stuck in that rut. I now can look at it. And sometimes I put myself there. I'll go back and I'll look at pictures. I'll look at text messages. I'll listen to voicemails. But I know what I'm doing. And it's I just want to feel yes. that close the connection, connection. Yeah. but I feel it in a different way. Because
2: you've reframed.
0: It, because I've reframed. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. And so being able to look at it in this way to be able to say that is just as true and just as right that I can learn something from it. There are other people who are experiencing what I'm experiencing and they're stuck. I know just like I was, just where I was. And if I can help them end that stuck cycle one minute sooner, that reframe, huge for me. Wow. So that took me actually to a next piece of the framework. And again, they're not linear, but the fourth piece of the framework is reconnect. And the interesting thing is when an it happens, Lots of things change, and it, depending on your it, right? But the one thing that never changes, never, for all of us, is we all have this need to be wanted, this need to be needed, and more than anything else, this need to be connected. But what we do when when a loss happens, when it happens, is we do the exact opposite mm-hmm. of what we innately need and want. We withdraw and we isolate yeah, ourselves. We recoil.
1: Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes.
0: And I mean, I did that. I mean, after my car accident, I withdrew and isolated, and I wouldn't see or talk to anybody. I mean, and this has gone on. My parents are now worried, right? I'm, I I went from this social, outgoing, gregarious love in life, live in life, to a social hermit. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. I don't, I just, I don't want to be a part of life anymore, right? I wanted to live in a cave if I ever wanted to live at all. And that whole idea of reconnection actually happened when a good friend of mine, a few months after the car accident, got fed up. And literally, hmm. he came over one day unannounced. Sick and, and
2: tired of you being sick and tired. Liter-
0: literally. Yeah. And thank goodness he did. He had no idea. In fact, I actually have called him recently to let him know that he's in my book and, and what he did because he had no idea. But he literally came over unannounced, picked me up, Carried me outside, put me on the back of his motorcycle, which was a huge no. So I knew my parents had to be in on this. I was never allowed on a motorcycle, which tells you how desperate they are, anything to get their daughter back. And took off. And we talked for a long time about meaningless stuff, right? Absolutely meaningless about life and how it's kind of like a car and driving. And what he didn't realize is that he reconnected me. He reconnected me physically by touching me. I was okay. He reconnected me mentally, kept my mind from churning, right? It moved it a little bit away from that. And I felt a different, right? And then he reconnected me emotionally because he accepted me right where I was, how I was, facial scars, injuries and all without hesitation. And that's when I learned that there's a big difference between existing fogging a mirror and living. And the realization in the frame of reconnect is we are not alone alone. To do more than just exist, we need life in our life. Oh, yeah. And that's what we do. When it happens, we literally take life out. I mean, when when Keith died, my daughter was pregnant. And my oldest daughter, and we'd been the three musketeers forever, so our relationship is really close. I couldn't even be a part of that. I was that... I was that disconnected. And this is my firstborn, and this is my first grandson. And I was so excited and elated when she told us. And so- so well, this we, just
2: shows how it's not linear because the exactly. whole reconnection was something that came out of that first adult it. And, you know, here you are dealing two or three it's down the road.
0: At least two or three. And you're right back <laughs> yeah, into that in
2: isolation and you're reliving it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So
2: it's just constantly coming back to these different- It is. ...frames and the yes. realizations that come from each frame.
0: And the the- I've had people describe this as, oh my gosh, this is like a road map. Now at least I know where I am. And I think for human beings, when you know where you are and you now see that there's something beyond that and you know where you want to go, this gives at least a visual as well as a verbal of, oh my gosh, there is something more. There is something better. There is something different. But now I know how, when I'm ready, I can use it to get there.
1: It's, so almost, a, it's almost a level of emotional orientation, mm-hmm. right? When you feel lost... And you have no clarity on (laughs) how to move forward, where to move forward, where you are. Like I drove up here today today and crazy fog. Crazy fog. Yeah. I hadn't seen that fog in a while. You get very disoriented. And as I listen to you describe this framework, it at least allows some acceptance around where you are at this point in in, understanding, right? Understanding your your journey with the it.
0: Yes. And it's all it's all very common. Right? People use the word normal, and I like to say common. This is this is common. Who's to say what's normal? But it's the, what you're feeling is a really common. Know that it is common, and there is something more beyond it. And the fifth piece of the framework is release. And no, this is not where I sing the Frozen song of let it go, let it go <laughs> at all. It's so much more than that. And what I have seen in myself as well as others is in human beings, we have this really strong need for control. And it starts as a, at a young age, right? I mean, I remember my daughter refusing to eat lima beans at the table. She was in total control. They, She would still be sitting there with them oh, petrified. The illusion know, of, of contr- power
2: we parents think we have. Exactly. Right? Oh,
0: absolutely. And it, and it gets this need for control gets stronger as we yeah. get older, right? And and so, you know, one minute I'm laughing and having a great time on my way to a party at a lake on my spring break at 18 years old and in a split second – my entire life's changed forever. And I had this overwhelming sense of this loss of control of everything all at once in my life. Well, we as humans, we don't want to be there. We And, and so I was looking for control over something. I mean, anything. Because I couldn't control where I went, couldn't control what I ate, couldn't control sleep. I mean... That was about the only thing I had control over was my mind, and I had recognized I'd done a really good job of using against myself, coming up with all these what-ifs and if-onlys, creating these different outcomes, convincing myself that no matter what it was that happened in my life, that I should have or, or could have been able to prevent or change what happened. And so the, the realization in looking at release is we have and hold on to this illusion of control of an outcome. And as long as we hold on to the illusion of control of an outcome, it has control over us. The truth is, one of the things we have the least amount of control over is an outcome when there's at least one other person involved, because they get to make choices and decisions too.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's outside of your, what I like to call the hula hoop. Yes. There, this fight, I mean, so much of my life was fighting to maintain the control outside of that hula hoop. Yes. And the, the realization through this process after meeting you way back when there, brother, and What was that? When the earth was cooling? Yeah, in 2005, (laughs) exactly. This idea of being able to detach from those outcomes and and now having a framework to help me keep coming back to that and remind me of that because, man, I can do that here. Right. Yes. We're, we're sitting in this nice little cozy padded room together, the four of us, and I can feel really good about detaching from any outcome that could possibly come my way. Right. And the minute I walk out that door, I get attached to outcomes again.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and it, that's because that's how we're wi- wired, right? and, oh, and That's the
2: genius of your whole framework I, is how it's circular. It brings you back. It doesn't leave you stuck in a space until you perfectly figure exactly.
0: it out. Well, and and that, and that realization in that frame, right, in release, is letting go of the illusion of control of the outcome sets you free from that guilt, from that blame, that shame, that responsibility that we all heap on ourselves, the baggage. And it gives us back that energy and that bandwidth that's been taken away because of holding on to it. And when it sets you free, it actually sets you free in so many areas and so many ways in your life to be able to deploy that somewhere else. And that is, I think, one of the biggest pieces of the framework is it gives you back so much And it gives you some valuable skills that you would never have in your life without it.
1: I love how you say these are not linear in any particular order. No. But just to recap them, we talked about reliving. Yes. We talked about reflecting. Yes. Reframing. Yes. Reconnecting Mm -hmm. and releasing. Absolutely. Now, you also sped bump over. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) uh, speed bump well, Speed bump I got Jill on speed dial We can get her uh, It's either speed English bumped Or sped bumped sped, yeah. I'd like them both Okay We make up words here On the show all the time Heck. Much to the chagrin Of our listeners Oh <laughs> I have
0: one Difflicated.
1: <laughs>
0: Difficult and complicated Is difflicated.
1: Oh I thought that's what The bird did oh. on my car today <laughs> Exactly <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a medical problem <laughs> no. You very lovelily Speed bumped over your book Oh yes We need to hear a little bit About the book Yeah, you have been so incredibly generous with
2: sharing your framework and your five realizations I know I'm going to listen back to this afterward, and I'm going to watch more.
1: I'm i got six people in my head that I'm like, they need to hear this <laughs> yeah. this wow. episode immediately. So we've spent some time together. We've spent a couple hours
2: here in studio together. I want more. How do I get more? There's a book out there. Tell me about that.
0: Yes, it's right now just being finished in cover design, and my anticipation is it will be released right around the first of the year. Oh, and nice. it be ready to be published. Uh, the book is titled It Happened, Now What? Hmm. The Five Realizations. A Transformative Way to Process Loss and Turn Grief into Grit. Awesome. And you mentioned something that I want to make sure is... is doesn't get lost because we're going to go back to that value and that that whole idea of value in life and what is it? And you mentioned the diamond shape of the framework that these five pieces of the framework are c- captured in.
2: Oh yeah, and that, there's a reason for that. Yes, I guess.
0: yes, that was very intentional. And this was another thing that I am not a creative individual. This is all coming through me to be able to share. I I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I basically was given that whole idea of wait, let's look at this diamond, Julia. Let's look at this diamond. I thought, when the world could grief and loss and a diamond have in common. They couldn't be more opposite. And of course I push back because that's what I do. But it's it's really unbelievably ironic, I guess, that a diamond and grief share almost the identical same characteristics, but one is highly sought after and valued and the other we shun and try and get away from like the plague or, or like COVID, I guess we say now, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And we have the plague. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. But I mean, when you think about it, right? Grief and, and a diamond are created under stress and pressure Yes. They're known for their hardness. Oh yeah. Right, and they create. They occur naturally. There are no two alike, and neither one of them can be duplicated. But the most powerful thing about it is they are both heavier to carry, and have limited value in their initial state. Neither one of them have value until you process them, and that's where you create the value. And in looking at it. Just like we mine diamonds out of the earth, we can mine diamonds, like personal life things, like determination and courage and resilience and perseverance out of the rough stuff of life. And so that's where the diamond framework comes from to be able to say, if we can get something positive... How do we know the it's are going to happen in our life? We know the losses are going to be there. But if we can get something positive and carry those positive things forward that propel us farther personally and professionally in who we really are and I think where we were really supposed to live, because we're not supposed to live in that darkness, that is the whole piece of the framework and why it's a diamond.
1: Julia Nicholson, it has been an absolute privilege to have you in the studio today. I cannot wait to hear what our listeners think of everything you've shared today. Matthew you continue to just attract amazing people to bring into the studio. The book is going to be released here perhaps right around the time of this episode launching. I just can't thank you enough for being here. Yes,
2: Julia. Oh, uh, first of all, you're welcome. This is my gratitude every day, the people I get to meet and become friends and call friends. Julia, how else can our listeners until that book is available? How else can our listeners reach out to you and connect with you?
0: Sure. I have a website julianicholsonpresents.com and they can go on that website it will give them a lot of information it also will allow them to sign up to get information about a pre-order if they would like the book but I do want to say actually the gratitude is all mine for you both to be able to give me an opportunity to literally share this message and share this passion is the purpose that I have and give me an opportunity to maybe make a difference. I can't thank you enough. I've, people have asked me how, how, how are you going to do this? And I've answered them the same way. I don't know how I know why. And you have proven that the how presents itself when you know your why. So thank you very much for the opportunity. I I literally can't thank you enough. And I will be giving you a signed book if you want one.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, please. And with that, my friends, we're going to call this one a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money.
3: needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.